It's Islam. The deep questions. It's finished. Don't watch the television. Once your work is finished, find something constructive to add to your mind. History. Spirituality. Politics. It's pure Islam. In the second episode of the Battle of Wills, we ended with yet another question that we did not answer. And that was, what happens when you win the battle of wills? What is the result, the fruit, the end of this great movie, the movie of your life? And we mentioned a secret. And we're going to dive into that secret in this episode. Now think about it for one moment. In the last episode, we mentioned the Hamam visit of Abu Sa'id Abu Khair with Ibn Sina and how we threw up this lava stone and uh, let it float in the air. Whereupon Ibn Sina said that it's your soul's willpower that is stronger than the earth's willpower or gravitation to pull it down. And if you think about it for one moment, you will realize that God has created this entire universe according to a set of laws and rules, like a framework. Call it natural laws and metaphysical laws. Have you thought why the Quran in many places used the plural word when attributing an action to God. For example, Inna anzalnahu. We revealed the Quran during Laylatul Qadr. Who are we? The Quran, the revelation, is a word of God descended and revealed to a prophet. Yet, the Quran says we revealed. And here we can read in the tafsir and interpretation of the Quran that it talks about God in this way. When he reveals something, he includes all the chains from him to the Prophet. Like you have uh, the Jibrail, but how also the interaction between Jibrail and God is interesting. There is one uh, hadith that uh, describes the flow of a revelation that there is a mirror that one of the angels has the mission to just look at and when God intends to reveal he reveals in this mirror and the angel in charge when he sees a change in this mirror he will transmit whatever he sees in the mirror on to, I don't remember if it was directly to Jibrail or to another angel, angel who tells Jibrail, who then comes 
and reveals it to the heart of the prophet. And we also have, for example, that several times the entire Quran is revealed all at once to the heart of the prophet. Like, apart from Jibreel coming, either taking the shape of a human, and we have this also in the Ahadith that, for example, the prophet sits with the Sahaba and the companions, and a man walks by them and talks with the prophet and then uh, passes by, and uh, the prophet asks the Sahaba, do you know who that person is? And they say no, and he says, that is my brother Jibrail. So it takes the form of a human being. In other times, we have that Jibrail comes in his original form. For example, in the first revelation of the Quran, Iqra bismi khalaq. In that uh, moment, Jibrail came in his original shape. And we have also that Imam Ali mentions in Nahj Balagha how we could hear, smell this revelation because he was like a child, seven, eight years old, in the cave together with the Prophet when this revelation occurred. Anyhow, this is interesting because if God reveals the entire Quran directly to the heart of the Prophet at once, this happens sometime uh, before the entire outward revelation of the Quran is done. The Quran we have in our hands today, you know, the writing, this is the lowest degree and form of the Quran. And Hadith states that the Quran has 70 or 70,000 layers. So this direct revelation of the entire Quran must mean the reality of the Quran being descended to the heart of the Prophet. And here one can argue, probably this is some direct communication between God and the Prophet. But apart from these, you have the regular, so to say, revelations, where the Archangel Jibrail comes down and reveals the message to the Prophet. And we also have in the Hadith how this revelations usually affected the Prophet. For example, he will be overwhelmed. He will start to sweat. Uh, there's one instance when he's sitting on the camel and a revelation comes. And the revelation, when it comes, it is so heavy that it forces the camel down on its knees as the Prophet starts to sweat profoundly and shiver and takes the revelation. So it affects the Prophet's person very hard. For those of you who have had very strong spiritual dreams, you can relate to this somehow, because spiritual dreams have a tendency of affecting the body in a similar way. You wake up, you are sweating, you are overwhelmed, you have a heavy feeling on yourself. This is common. So you have the Quran either revealed directly from the God, from God to the heart of the Prophet, or you have the Jibrail and possibly other angels in all of these chain of events that come down, comes down with a revelation to the Prophet. Now the Quran still uses the word we. Sometimes it's God directly to the Prophet, sometimes it's through angels. But God uses the word 
we. It's the same in another instance of the Quran where God says, We take the soul at the time of death. Now, if a person pulls up a gun and shoots another person and kills him, who is killing this person? You have three you have three layers now. You have three chain of events. Three causes for a person's death. Number one, the person person holding and firing the gun. Number two, the angel Israel, the death angel, who takes the soul. And number three, ultimately God, who allows it to happen. Both the bullet killing the person and Israel taking the soul. Yet the Quran says, we take the soul at the time of death. He attributes it to himself. And this is absolute. He doesn't say, okay, when someone murders another person, we don't take the soul. We just take it when someone dies naturally. No. We take the soul. Who is to blame is another question. But there are several, several consequences that lead to a person's death. So this entire universe, both its outward physical aspects and its metaphysical, its bottom, its internal dimensions, all of these are according to a set of rules, frameworks, boundaries set by God. Now, all of these, all of them act according to the will of God. So what's the secret here? If a person acts contrary to the will of God, that person will become tired. Because he is going against the force of the creator and the force of creation. He is opposing God's will, nature's will, his own inner, his own fitra that wants him the best. He is opposing all of these. So in the long run he becomes tired, he becomes anxious, he becomes sad. Ultimately, he becomes depressed. Now, this depression and this sadness, this is not necessarily a bad thing. This is actually a wake-up call for the soul to grab himself. Uh, as the Quran says, I advise you to do one thing, to rise up for God. You know, start a spiritual path. Come on, come. The problem here is that many human beings, when they feel this anx- when when they feel this anxiousness, this, this this depression, this sadness, this anguish, they fill up the hole in their soul with other than God. They can replace it with alcohol, with drugs, with social media, with games with movies, with sleep. 
And what they do in reality is that they are bleeding internally. But instead of seeing what is causing this bleeding, they just put a lid on it. Just put some bandage around it and go on. Oh look, it's not bleeding, but it's all red. This bandage will hold for how long? One week, two weeks, one month, two months, one year? Then it's somewhere, somehow, you will have lost so much blood, so much spirituality, that you will be weak. So when you act contrary to the will of God, you are acting contrary to the will of your own nature. Hence, you don't feel good. And the secret is, when you want what God wants, and when you want what God wants in every moment, this force forward will be much stronger than the force backwards. Because now you want it. Your body wants it. Your nature wants it. Your surrounding wants it. The entire universe wants it. And God himself wants it. So all of these wills are aligned towards one goal. And you force forward yourself against this goal. This is a huge difference compared to when you want something and everything else doesn't want it. Now think, how can a person one night change from worse to best and act upon it? And this acting upon it, this serious rising for God and walking that path will bring and move that person infinitely longer forth than if he had continued to sleep. You have this ancient saying, take one step towards God and God will leap or run towards you. You know what the beautiful thing is? When you walk towards God and when you want what God wants, the beauty of it, I think perhaps the most beautiful part of it, you know what the best result is that God will attribute you to himself. One hadith Qudsi says, I was sick and you didn't visit me. God says, I was sick and you didn't visit me. And then he says, you know how? One of my mu'min believing servants, one of those whose will was according to my will, who wanted what I wanted, one of my friends was sick and you didn't visit him. So you didn't visit me. See? God attributes not perfection, imperfection to himself because the person possessing this imperfection is perfect. Sickness is imperfection. It's a flaw. It's a weakness. God cannot have a weakness. 
Yet he says, I was sick. Why? Because my servant, who is a part of me, was sick. Look how beautiful this is. The perfection is the servant. And the servant's perfection lays in him being a servant of God. That's his perfection. And God attributes the servant's imperfection to himself. Subhanallah. You have another verse where in the Quran that says, "Wama rameita ida rameit, walakin Allah rama." You did not throw when you threw the pebbles, but it was God who threw. The Prophet is the one being addressed. It was in one of the wars where the Prophet took up some stones and he read something upon them, like a dua or something, and he threw them and this blinded the enemy. And the Quran says, when you threw, you did not throw. It was God who threw. So God attributes the throwing of the Prophet to himself. He says, I threw, you didn't throw. Now I read another hadith about this. Where the Imam says, I think it was Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. He says, you know why God says it was not you through, but it was I you through? You know why he says like that? Because when the Prophet threw the stones, it was Ali ibn Abi Talib who gave the stones to the Prophet. The giving of the stones to the Prophet was at the hands of Imam Ali. And now God says, you did not throw, it was I who threw. So you have the first uh, you have the first meaning that, okay, the prophet he did not throw, it was God. And you also have in this chain of events, the hand of Ali. Ali gave the stones. So it was God who gave the stones. And it was God who threw the stones. Look how beautiful this is. The attribution of a servant to God himself. Like we stated in the first or second episode of the Battle of Wills, this special dua of Rajab that Imam Mahdi recites, Ajalullah Ta'ala, where he says that, ما فرقت بينك وبينها إلا إنهم عبادك وخلقك. There is no difference between you, God, and them, except that they are your servants. That's the only difference. You have the hadith where Imam Ali alayhi salam says that all of the knowledge of the Quran is in the Bismillah rahman rahim and all of the knowledge of the Bismillah rahman rahim is in the Bismillah and all of the knowledge of the Bismillah is in the B of the Bismillah and I am the dot beside the B, the Ba. Now, think about it. If there was no dot, there would be no B. In Arabic, the B is like uh, laying down L Latin L with a dot beneath it. So if you didn't have the dot, there will be no B, there will be no Bismillah, there will be. So there are at least two interpretations and uh, meanings of this hadith that I can think of right now. One is that without the Wali, without the Imam, without the Wilaya, the entire Quran makes no sense because there is no Bismillah. Remove all of the dots, you cannot read it, you, you cannot understand it, what it says. That aspect is the aspect of the wilaya. But then you have the aspect of the servant. The servant is like the dot 
beneath the bismillah, beneath the bee. There is no difference between you and them except that they are a dot and you are not. They are a dot connected to you, to your bee. If they were not, you would not have been either. Think about it for one moment. You say that God has 99 names, 99 attributes. But how many of them can be realized without God creating? Can God be a creator without creating? Can he be khalaq without a khalq? Can God be a rewarder without anyone to reward? Can he be a shakur, a thankful God? Without thanking anybody? There are a lot of these attributes. That need to be. In order for them to be realized. And manifested. A creation is needed. That is perhaps why. The Hadith Qudsi. Which God said to the Prophet David. Dawood. Salam. He says, I was a kanzun makhfi. I was a hidden treasure that wanted to be known, that wanted to be found. So I created the creation in order for the creation to find me. You know, finding God is finding, you need to find the attributes. And you cannot see and understand the attributes without something or someone manifesting them. You cannot realize the beauty of nature without flowers, right? You cannot realize the sweetness without honey. All of these are needed. How can you understand the Jamal and Jalal, the beauty, the Rahma, the love, the affection, the power, the knowledge? The patience, the thankfulness, the illumination and the light and the nur of God and everything else. If you did not have Karbala, was not Karbala a theater where God's most beloved, chosen one, his wali, his representative on earth, Imam Hussein disciplined and manifested the, all of the 99 names and attributes of God in the most beautiful manner. To that degree that those around him, these 72 heroes, these 70, 72 fallen petals, they also rose to heights unheard of before. You have Abbas salam, a non-ma'asum that acts like a ma'asum. You have Zuhair, rahmatullah, a person who until yesterday was on the other side. He was an Uthmani. He blamed Imam Ali for the murder of Uthman. Yet after five minutes of whispers with the source of love, with Imam Hussein himself, something happened. Some ishq, some love, some fire rose up and took over his entire being. 
So he, he left everything. He left his wife, his his uh, companions. He joined the caravan of Imam Hussein salam, and he did what he did. Zuhair on the battle of Ashura were, were everywhere. Now this is so beautiful. If Karbala had not occurred, how would we have known how far and how high a person can reach? I mean, all of the persons before Karbala, the situation was such that usually they manifested and displayed some aspects of God. This is not like a flaw in their personality. Rather, it's the conditions that does not allow them to show everything. Or they show everything but on a long span of time, like several years. What the Prophet displayed during 23 years of his prophethood, in all of the wars and all of the incidents, the politics, the uh, gatherings, you know, all of those lessons, they compress them and concentrate them into 24 hours. And you have the battle of Ashura. You have everything from akhlaq, from the best of akhlaq, from forgiveness, from rahmah, from generosity, from everything in 24 hours. That is why I call it a theater, a divine theater. It's like the Oscars where all the angels sit and the best human beings come forth. And this is a play, the most beautiful action acting as God's ultimate will on earth. Now the interesting thing is that when you sacrifice your lower wills, your unnatural wills, your divine wills, for the higher wills, unveilings, Mukashafat, miracles, dreams, extraordinary things around you will test you, will test your will. Do you really want? An outward example. You have the Hajj, the pilgrimage. You know during the Hajj, when you wear the Ihram, the special simple clothing when you go to the Hajj to Mecca, you are not allowed to hunt. And many of the Arabs during that time, they used to go to the mountains and hunt. There are special goats and uh, lambs and some animals that lived in the mountains and in the rocks and they used to hunt them. And the history says that when they went to Hajj with the Prophet, they put on the Ihram and they started to say, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. Labbaik Allahumma Sharika Laka Labbaik. When they made a Labbaik, calling God, Here I am at your service, O Lord. What happens was that all of these goats and lambs in the rocks and the mountains started to come down in wave after wave surrounding them. They could pet them. They walk amidst them. And they were not allowed to hunt them. 
This is what I mean with the test. How strong is your will? You want to go to Hajj. Okay. Now that you go, I will give you the best. The things that you want. So you can say, oh, look, I made, I took a step for God and God sent me this as a gift. And then you hunt it down or perhaps you say, okay, I don't hunt it. I just capture it and I put a rope around it and I save it. When the haram is over and the hajj is over, I will slaughter it. But no, this is a test. This is what I mean. You know what happens when you sacrifice your lower will for the higher will? You know the ultimate result of it? Perhaps this verse from the Quran describes it the best. It says, Indeed, those who have said, Our Lord is Allah, and then remained on a right course, endured. The angels will descend upon them. This is verse 30 of Surah Fusilat. Angels will descend upon them. Now look, this verse, it's not addressed to the Prophet. It is not addressed to Prophets at all. It is addressed to those persons who select God's will as their Lord, like their master, like their commander-in-chief. I take my commands from Allah. قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهِ Our Rabb is Allah. Our Rabb is not my nafs. It's not my lower self. It's not my lower will. My Lord is God's will. When they say that. And then, استقاموا. They endure. They have patience in this. As we said in the previous episode, 7 days, 40 days, 1 year. They endure. When they do, تَتَنَزَّلُوا عَلَيْهِمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Angels will descend upon them. Now here comes the test. You know what the test is? What will you do if, let's say you pray, you make a dua, you recite the dua of Kumail, on the night of Friday, such as this. You recite it. You have a good feeling, a spiritual mood. And as you do, you see an angel descending upon you. And you see him. like Not like feel him. Like, not like some flashing of a light. No. You see the angel. What will happen? How will you feel? What will you say? Will you look at him? Will you have your concentration? Will you gain your focus? Or will you lose it? We have in the hadith that Hur al-Ain, you know, the mates of paradise, they are so beautiful because remember they are the 
manifestation of God's Jamal and beauty. They are so beautiful that if they were to stand on the horizon and show themselves to the world, all of the inhabitants of the world would fall down dead, not being able to see their beauty. Out of longing for them, they will fall down and die. Now look at the test. Allama Tabatabai received an Dasturul Amal, and a program, uh, Amal, something to do. You know, you have these special occasions where your master, spiritual master, gives you some, see it like a, in, like a vitamin dose or like a medicine that when you take it, you will reach some higher levels. He received this Dastur al-Amal from his Ustad, Aghaqazi. And as he was reciting and making this special Amal, this Dua, what it was, this Dhikr that he, was, that he had received, after a couple of days, what happened was, and this, his master told him, when you do this, this will happen. Ahur al-Ain descended upon him. And walked in front of him. And walked around him. And did whatever she could. To gain his attention. Yet he did not lift his eyes even once to look at her. He was so absorbed in his amal and his worship. That he did not even glance at her. Ultimately this Hural Ain became disappointed. And left. And Agha Tabatabai continued with his amal. This is the test. This is the ultimate test. God, with this test, tells you behind the lines. Do you really want me? Or do you want my gifts? Do you want me? Or do you want my power? And here, Imam Khomeini, he says in his 40 hadith. He stresses upon this many times in the entire book. He says, if you do not have karamat, these spiritual miracles, you are not allowed to deny them. This is the worst thing that you can do. Do not deny the spiritual miracles, the spiritual powers, the karamat of the orafa and the spiritual way for us. Do not do that. Because you will close the door upon yourself. Now, Alamatabatabai himself, he also describes in the selection of taking a spiritual master for yourself, do not simply choose someone who can make karamat, who can walk on water, who can do extraordinary things. Because these sort of things, these unveilings, these mukashfat, these spiritual powers, they occur in the beginning of the path, in the beginning of the journey. It's like you take a flight to a distant land, to some sunny place. Let's say you go to Hawaii. You take a flight to Hawaii and you come there. And, okay, so you've left your hometown. You have traveled. You're coming to Hawaii. And then what happens? You go and spend all of your money and attention at the 
tax-free shop on the airport. You stayed, oh wow, look at these cool shirts that they have, look at these hats, look at these drinks that they have, and you just stay there. You don't advance further on your journey. And you think, it is special, it is not what you're used to. Yet, this is not it. That's why Alamataba Tabai says in the selection of a spiritual master in Light Within Me, quote, To know whether a general master is fit to be so, it is necessary to watch him closely and have contact with him for a considerable time. Such supernatural things as to know what other thinks, to walk on water or fire, to narrate the past events or foretell the future, are not signs of anybody being a favorite of Allah. The performance of such things becomes possible at the beginning of spiritual vision, but the stage of proximity to Allah is far away from this stage. No one can be as a spiritual master in the true sense unless and until he receives the light of the glory of divine essence. To receive the light of the manifestations of divine names and attributes is not enough. End quote. Now there's a lot to be said here, but our topic is not the spiritual guide. I'll just say one more point and move on. And that is that this spiritual guide is appointed from above. It is not selected by you so you are fancied by someone. It is something ordained from above to you. Just like Rizq. And your duty is to seek it, to want it, to pray for it, and to prepare yourself for it. Hence the battle of wills. The hard part is now that we usually do the fight alone. Let's go to the, what was it, the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where there was a race towards the moon. You know, when the US and the Soviet both fought each other and competed against each other to reach the moon the first. This was a competition that strengthened the will. They were driven by their enemy, by not letting him win over them. In their mind, this was a battle of systems, a battle of culture, a battle of way of life. Ultimately, in essence, it was a battle of wills between the US and the Soviet. But this is the beauty in Islam as well. Because we also have a natural enemy. Alam ahad ilaykum ya bani adam an la ta'abudu shaytan innahum lakum aduun mubeen. Did I not enjoy upon you, O children of Adam, that you should not worship Satan? Indeed, he is your clear enemy. This is verse 60 of Surah Yasin. Your clear enemy. Worship him not. If we had the same sense of enmity towards shaitan as the US and Soviet had 
against each other. We would have also been on the moon now. Yet we are stuck in the mud. We have not reached so far. But our common enemy, our open enemy, he's right there. Yet our will is more according to him than to ourselves. It's like how Imam Khomeini describes it in his Adab Salat. He says that that poor person, he is cursing Satan, yet he is running towards him. Isn't that so? In the battle, we see him as our enemy, we pronounce him as our enemy, yet we run towards him. There is one instance, a Mokashefa of one of the great, great, great Arafa, the Ustad of the Ustad of the all of the Asatid of the current time. I'm talking about Mullah Hussein Quli Hamadani. This marvel of a person. In one of his Mukashafat, he saw himself. This is at the end of his life. Bear you. He sees himself at the top of a mountain. Beside him stands Shaitan. And Mullah Hussein Quli Hamadani says to him, he looks down and sees he's very high up, like above the clouds. And he says to Shaitan, he says, Can you not let me be now? You know, I fought you all my life and this is at the end of my life. Like, can't you just let me be at the last moments? And Shaitan says, I swear to God, if I at this instant will have the possibility to grab you and throw you down from this mountain, I would have done so. This is our enemy. He doesn't have any pity for us. He doesn't have any mercy for us. His entire problem with us is that he thinks that we are not worthy of God's karamat. This is his problem with us. You know, you have the hadith where Prophet Isa, Jesus, you know, Shaitan, there is... He has a lot of uh, meetings with the prophets. You know, I think even there's a book called, or perhaps someone should make a book called The Mulaqat and the Meetings of Shaitan with the Prophets because there's a lot of wisdom to be gained there. And it's interesting because every time that Shaitan goes to a prophet and converses with him, Shaitan usually gives advices the prophet. And after he has given that advice, he curses himself and he regrets it and he says, Oh, I wish I hadn't told him that because if he acts upon it, he will fly towards God. He will reach the moon. So in one of these meetings with Jesus, Jesus tells him, you know, he says, Shaitan, why don't you take this opportunity to regret what you've done you know just say that you're sorry that you didn't bow down to Adam I personally will go and pray for you and intercede for you in the presence of the Lord and tell him to forgive you all you need to do is say you don't even need to say it just feel that you're sorry ask for forgiveness and Satan he replies, should I be sorry to God 
It's God that should be sorry to me. He should apologize to me. Because he will see on the day of judgment that I was right. When I reached there with my horde of followers. And with my army of the dark forces. And he will see that my army and my followers are greater and more than his followers. Then he will realize that I was right on that day. When I said that this person, this human being, these humans in reality, then do not deserve to be your representatives on earth. I cannot bow down to something that is less than me. So this is our enemy. And this is on Jesus' time. This is like 2,000 years ago. He has lived among humans for several thousand years. And for each day, he hates us more. Have you watched a movie and, uh, for example, I watched one really special movie yesterday. It was called Seeing This Movie is a Crime. The Danny in film Jormast. It was a Persian movie. Really good. And in the opening clip, you have this person, some important businessman, driving a fancy car. And he's drinking, he has drunk alcohol, you realize it later, but he sees a chador person, a woman with a full hijab and a chador, and he starts to swear at her and say really foul and uh, ugly stuff. And then he chases her down with his car and he beats her up and abuses her. And immediately, you know, this is like four or five minutes, but you you feel such hatred for this person. It's portrayed really be- good in the, in the movie. He acts really well. And you feel this hatred for him. Like, what is this, what is this human being doing? You, and I'm thinking, all of these years, how much ugliness has Shaitan seen from the humans? How much bloodshed and filth and... Things that not even wild animals will do, we have done to each other. This will just increase his hatred for us. Yet we fancy him. We say that we hate him. We seek God's refuge from him. Yet we worship him. The Quran says, Do not worship him. But we listen to him. We follow his footsteps. We see his marks here and there. Yet we don't care. We don't. We want to follow it. We want to watch that movie. We want to watch that clip. We want to listen to that bad backbiting. We want to do all of it. We want. We want. This is the thing. We want. So we, in reality, want shaitan. Yet we say, "Audo billahi min shaitan rajim." Laanatulala shaitan. He will sit there laughing at us. Look at him. He is eating my food, watching my stuff, liking what I like, yet he's cursing me. How bad servant do I have? And this is the thing. We have bad words. We say, ah, I can't be bothered. Uh, I don't have the lust. Uh, I don't have the energy. In Swedish we say, Jag orkar inte. I can't be bothered. This is a really ugly thing to say, but it's so firmly rooted 
in our language today that is affecting our children. We are learning them that we cannot do rather than we don't want to do. Oh, I can't be bothered. No, don't say I can't be bothered. Say I don't want. Be truthful. Be sincere. Why are you afraid of the truth? Now if we reconnect to the beginning of the episode, we spoke of the secret. We are now living in the secret. We are inside the holy months. We are in the holy month of Rajab, followed by the month of Sha'ban, followed by the month of Ramadan. All of these are God's will for us to be better persons. The best thing that I can do is that I decide I advise you to one thing. Stand up now. Decide from tomorrow. I will start. I will fast. I will make istighfar. What does istighfar mean? Istighfar is not just saying, Oh God, forgive me. Istighfar is an inner change. An inner disgust of your ways. Your bad ways. An inner passion and longing and loneliness for change like the snake shed your skin shed your personality shed yourself from your strip it off just do it you are now in a month where god has made it simple for you Everything is aligned. The entire universe is aligned for you at this moment to make a change. So you can win the battle of wills. There are a lot of heroes, a lot of examples, a lot of pioneers that we can watch and become like. To learn from, to be inspired from. In the next episode of the Battle of the Wills, which I hope will be the final episode, we're up in, this is the third, so the next will be the fourth. I did not plan to have four episodes on one topic, but here we are now. I am not very good at taking a topic without going very much into it. But we will, in the next episode, look at some examples, some personalities, some heroes in the battle of wills that can inspire us to become the same.